Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host, Skoish, Velociraptor Maloish, South Dakota State <laughs> University, <laughs> the Ohio State Penitentiary, <laughs> X-Wing at Aliciousness, Leoz Maxwell Jilliams, Donkey T, Shakira Kwan TGIF Carter. So for those of you who aren't really quite sure what's going on here. We are reenacting a Key and Peel sketch that they used to do on ridiculous football names. We're not both suffering from the same gas leak in our home. And uh we don't have Tourette syndrome as far as exactly I know. spouting insanities. So bear with us. <laughs> This week, we're going to be doing another of our autopsies uh, with the completion of the Hawkeye streaming show on Disney+. Plus. We decided that it would be an appropriate time for us to uh, address it now that we've both seen it and give it a a Hawktopsy. The Hawktopsy. We are yeah, going to do to the Hawktopsy. Exactly. <laughs> do you want to just get right into it? You want me to give like just a brief... You know, just a, a brief descriptor of well, what what the show is about. Not non spoilers included, without spoilers, spoiler sure, free. Yeah, it's uh it's the most recent streaming show from Disney Plus, uh, revolving around Hawkeye, and uh, it takes place around Christmas time, and it revolves around the f- uh the fact that actions that he took in the past as Ronan over uh during the end game period of of the marvel movies uh are coming around to finally come back and bite him in the butt and apparently ronan slash clint barton slash hawkeye has made a lot of enemies as ronan in this time period and um it revolves around him meeting uh a young I guess the term is protege. I, I guess she's she's an admirer of Hawkeye, and that's you know an interesting choice because of all the Avengers that you can pick, most people probably wouldn't go with Hawkeye. But you know she has a genuine love for Hawkeye, and mm-hmm. uh, he inspires he has inspired her to be to take up the role of a hero, and that's really what the what 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 establishes that early part of the show is just um she gets um, uh, caught up in in a black market that's trying to buy uh all of ronan's old gear and because Mm -hmm. she's getting a hold of uh she accidentally gets a hold of this black market gear uh clint barton obviously has a stake in getting a hold of this gear and protecting her while he's at it and uh it all revolves around a big mystery um, and a big mysterious player. And yeah, uh, I don't know if there's any other there there are any other details that you want to add or anything that you feel needs to be clarified, Drew. I think that's a that's a good uh, starting point for where the show begins. Nice, nice. All right, so. Uh, did you have any thoughts on it or spoiler free thoughts on the show? Yeah. 
I guess let, let's let's give our initial impressions. How, how about that? Just as a as a starting point. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I enjoyed the show for the most part. I think it started off better than it ended. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I can't exactly pinpoint the moment where it kind of fell apart for me, but I definitely think that the like a good majority of the show captured my attention and. Mm-hmm. Towards the end, at some point, I would say that I, I just couldn't really uh, buy into what they were selling me at that point. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think it's a bad show. I think it's plenty entertaining. But to be honest, what what draws me to the show is probably the characters and their interactions with each other, the dialogue. It's not yeah. so much the plot because I think I think the actual plot is pretty uh, either. I don't know if I would say it's lackluster, but it, it's a pretty simple plot. And there's there's nothing wrong with simple plots, but I also kind of felt like it, it didn't really do a whole lot to, like the plot in and of itself isn't something that really felt like it needed six episodes worth of story to, to tell. I think and that's I think, a good way to put it. Yeah, I think yeah. what what makes it last you know the full six episodes is the the character interactions and and the their relationships and you know the the banter and everything it that that's all pretty entertaining i think the yeah the the chemistry that the characters have with one another so you you're kind of just watching to see what they're going to say to each other in the next scene and what they're going to do uh, with each other, where they're going to go. Yeah. Actually actual, listening yeah, to you. Yeah. The actual plot wasn't, it wasn't anything that impressed me. Yeah. Listening to you talk about it now and just the way that you describe it, like it made me realize in, in this moment that I think this is an example of a story where it would have suited it or it would have worked more in a, in its favor if it had actually just been a movie instead of a, a mini series of six episodes. Mm, yeah. You know, I think that probably would have done a more effective job of telling that story. Quite honestly, it's possible, but I think if they were to make if they were if they had made this a movie instead, I feel like they mm-hmm. probably would have cut a lot of the a lot of the character scenes and kept That's most true. of the action scenes and i think that would have made it a pretty bad movie mm. yeah well we didn't get that movie so it's it's hard to say like i i don't know man i i i would happen to agree that i didn't really feel like it needed to be six episodes long yeah um i don't know there yeah the plot in it of itself was not anything so engaging or uh uh what's the word gripping grip exactly gripping that i felt like after every episode i needed to come back and see what happened next to get some sense of resolution you know i really Mm -hmm. didn't feel that (laughs) but uh like you i would say that the thing that really did sell it for me was just the character interactions you know just watching um Haley Stan Stanfield, that's her name, right? Uh, Steinfield, I think. Steinfield and Steinfeld. Uh, Seinfeld. Steinfeld. What? What's the <laughs> deal with that? 
who are these people? No. Kramer! Kramer! Uh, I'll I'll consider uh, cutting this out of the episode when I edit later. But maybe I'll just leave it in because it's uh, just random enough to make somebody laugh. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Do, do you think a lot of uh, people who listen to our podcast are Seinfeld fans? Probably not. We we might. Uh, I I want to say that we might be in the era where Seinfeld. Is is kind of an artifact of the past. Well, I mean, it's definitely the artifact of the past, but I I don't think it's anywhere near as popular as it used to be. I want to say, like, yeah. like I feel like if you you know there used to be a point in time where you could have quoted a random quote from the show and people would have been like, hey, I get it, no soup for you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know. <laughs> but <laughs> if you did that now, they'd just be like, I, I what what is this? They're you're probably more likely to know people who. Who would respond to like a, a random friends quote or you know if you truly hate them a big bang theory quote uh yeah yeah, yeah. that's true we i guess you know what that means it just means that we need to probably hang out with more 40 year olds <laughs> uh i i i i thought that i hang out with a good amount of 40 year olds <laughs> <laughs> i mean i wasn't hanging out at high school uh, playgrounds or anything, or whatever the schoolyards, whatever. The- <laughs> <laughs> you're all, you're all going to the elementary school playground, yelling at kids. No soup for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just to see what they do, how they respond to it. Wasn't that great, kids? Wasn't that funny? <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, Haley Stanfield and uh uh. What's the name of Clint Barton's character? I forgot him. Clint uh, Barton is the character. You mean the actor? The actor, yeah. Oh, uh, Jeremy Renner. Yeah, and Jeremy Renner. Like, they had great chemistry on camera. And, uh, you know, a lot of the fun was just watching them just kind of being pals to each other, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the banter. If, yeah, the banter, exactly. The 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 playfulness and the, the bonding, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but overall, sure. did you did you would you say that you liked Hawkeye the show? Uh, I think it's fine. Um, I think there was part of me that wanted to like it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because it came out during the holidays and it was sort of set up as their the way that I interpreted it, it was as their like their Christmas show. You know, like like Die Hard. Uh, maybe even a little more sentimental than that. You know, I was hoping for oh, something okay. a little more sentimental than that. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> well, I was gonna say something like uh, uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas or something like that, but that might have been too, you know, too far on the other end. But, <laughs> um, uh, Home Alone. I do think that it tried to be it. Home Alone might be the closest thing that it tried to be. I think that's a, a good comparison. It was a watered-down Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a slight? <laughs> I can't tell if you're complimenting Hawkeye or insulting Hawkeye or, or complimenting Home Alone or insulting Home Alone. Like, I, I'm, I'm pretty befuddled right now. I, I really don't know what else to do except chuckle. Okay, that's good. I'm constantly... 
amusing myself by befuddling you. So yeah. if that's what I was able to achieve, then I did what I set out to do. Yeah, I, I have been fuddled deeply. That's gross. I don't want to deeply fuddle your anything, but that's gross. <laughs> no, no, it's it's too late. You've already fuddled me. I've already been fuddled. <laughs> Anyways. So, um yeah, what what how do you think it compares to the source material, Drew? Like we talked about this in uh we 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 talked about Hawkeye as a character and we addressed uh, some of the ideas surrounding uh what's at the core of hawkeye in in one of our previous episodes uh in in the lead up to the release of the streaming show mm-hmm. and now that the show has come out i'd like to know like uh, how do you think this show stacks up to any of the comics that we we discussed or even any of the concepts that we discussed when we were talking about what is at the the core of Clint Barton Hawkeye. Yeah, so what we discussed in our Hawkeye comics episode was that the primary reference point appeared to be the Matt Fraction, David Aja, Annie Wu, and the other artists that worked on that run. It, it was based, like, this show looked like it took a lot from that series, which was also something that we included in our Marvel top 25 of all time. So it, it's the comic itself is obviously a classic and you can listen to our other episodes to hear about why we consider it, you know, a legendary Marvel comic. I would say that for the show to directly invite that comparison, it, it was kind of, going to lose that battle no matter what because there is just no way that the adaptation could match up to the source material on this one it it wasn't going to happen because the reason why that fraction aha hawkeye is so great is not necessarily because of the basic plot or the or even the character banters uh the character banter or their interactions with each other the reason why those comics are so great is because of the way that they're crafted. Mm. Like they're just crafted extremely well. The yeah. the artwork is excellent and there are even a couple issues where they genuinely do experimental comics. Like we mm-hmm. talked about the one issue that uh was told from the point of view of Lucky the Pizza Dog. And yeah. there was also another issue that was uh, the sign language issue when when Clint loses his hearing aid, you know, like that. The the and and it's not that the story itself was innovative; it's that the way that it was executed was innovative. Because if you look at those comics, the way that Aha drew those, like it it pretty much shows you why comic book artists are so important to comic book storytelling. Yeah. Like, I mean, that should be obvious, but I, I feel like. There was yeah. a period of time when we lived in a very writer-oriented comics world mm-hmm. where people kind of didn't really care too much who drew the thing as long as they recognized who wrote it. But now we've kind of shifted back. Um, 
slightly. I, I still think we're in an editorial age of comics, but I yeah. think now recently we've we've definitely seen uh, a lean towards artists again, where uh, they're valued and appreciated for their creativity and even their innovation and, and just the you know the risky the risks that they take in yeah. terms of of their storytelling. Yeah. So f- yeah. You know, all of that is just to say that the the Fraction AHA run is so good because it does take these kind of experimental turns. And I think when we look at the show, the show took a lot of the superficial elements, but clearly all of the posters and the a lot of the uh, promotional artwork and yeah. the end credit scene, like that's yeah. all obviously... That all inspired. obviously came from David Aha's art. I mean, not, I don't think he worked on it, but I, I think people ripped off his art and, or <laughs> I don't even know if, maybe ripped off is like a little bit too savage, but they were certainly inspired to pay homage to him, right? Mm, like mm. It's, it was uh, even at the point where when they released the, the first couple of posters, like everybody was like, hey, that that's exactly like David Aha. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, there was a whole controversy because they basically just took his designs and and didn't give him any credit or or payment for for doing so, which I guess legally is probably okay because he didn't own that work. But I think it's pretty slimy. It's pretty it's yeah, it's pretty slimy, and I, I think it's it's pretty weak, and and it's the kind of thing that that makes me lose respect for TV as a medium. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you know, like I like I say every so often, I'm a comic book elitist, so of course I'm gonna have that mentality. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, all of that is to is to go back to uh, your original question, and I was I was gonna say that when we look at that source material and compare it to the TV show, which in and of itself invites that comparison. The reason why I think that the TV show doesn't work as well is because it's it doesn't take any experimental risks, you know. Like there's no experimental storytelling whatsoever. Yeah. It's a yeah. it's a pretty straightforward superhero Marvel Disney uh, story, and I th- I think that even though uh, it doesn't strictly adapt the plot of the Fraction stuff in its entirety. It's it's certainly inspired by it, and it comes. And they try to come up with their own plot for the TV show, yeah. Which which is fine. Um, it, it doesn't like like we said earlier. It it wasn't anything that was too gripping. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think just watching the show for me at least, it all it really did was remind me how good the comic was. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and I think it's. It's kind of too bad that they they went out of their that the show went out of their way to try and make that comic book connection. It, it like in retrospect now now I kind of feel like if they had just uh, kept the art aesthetics a little bit more neutral, then maybe it would have maybe it, I wouldn't have thought about the comic as much, you know. Like mm, if they had mm. had a different. Um, end credits sequence or something it's just that sometimes just because they recognize that that comic is the best hawkeye comic 
Like it, it, it doesn't do the show any favors just to take some of the most superficial elements and try and integrate them. You know, like if they had really tried to pay homage to to that run of Hawkeye, they, I think the right thing to do would have been to try something more experimental. Like, like they could have done even like a 10 or 15 minute sequence told from the point of view of the dog. You know, like yeah. they could have done something like that. It, it wouldn't even have to be an entire episode, but just. Just like a genuine attempt to to pay homage rather than to just trying to trying to crib somebody's art style like that that's weak to me man that's really weak yeah yeah I hear you yeah, sometimes sometimes the medium is the message you know like that that's what makes the fraction aha Hawkeye so good because the medium is the message it, it's not the stuff that's in the story that makes it amazing it's it's really the the form you know the the form of comics is really able to shine in in that run and and that's what makes it yeah one of the greatest marvel comics they've ever done so for the show to try and take the superficial elements and and make that sing for them it yeah it kind of flopped on on its face in in that regard i don't know what do you think about that it feels like am i just being too elitist I mean, I was I was gonna address that term, uh, but it, yeah, it 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 feels like if they're going to mimic something as, uh, artistically experimental as what the original comic was going to be, and if the final product and you know try to translate that to the the screen, and if what they end up doing is really just a pale comparison, uh. A pale imitation uh, of that work. It, it's like you said. Every time you look at it, all you're going to see are the flaws, and all you're going to see are the holes, and it's just going to become this glaring, this obviously glaring, um, Im- like yeah, imitation of whatever the original was, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I feel like. If you listen to our podcast, we we kind of harp on this idea a lot. Um, well, you especially, Drew, not not to besmirch you or anything like that, but um, you know, you you refer to yourself as an elitist, and um, you know, I don't <laughs> I don't necessarily think it's elite to 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 look at comics as you know to to appreciate comics for all of the technical aspects of it in addition to uh the storytelling so like i, I guess some people might even call it minutia but yeah I, like it's I, I i feel like your average comic book fan probably doesn't think about it too much right like uh their 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 basic thought process is if it looks like Superman's punching this dude in the face, then that's all I really want from it is that it looks like it's Superman punching this dude in the face, right? I want sure, the best, yeah. coolest-looking version of that. That's what I want. I want it to be emotionally evocative. I want to be in awe of whatever I'm looking at, right? But, you know, there's there's other things that go along with it that aren't that aren't quite so obvious, uh, other other elements to to how how you can draw Superman punching a guy in the face, right? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, they're uh, like 
there are different experimental ways of storytelling that you can do through comics that you can't really do in any other medium. And when you get creative enough and clever enough, you can do something really special um, that really makes you wrap your head around new ways of thinking, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we joke about this 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 one particular comic, but there there's something I'd even have to say that's that's kind of clever about it even though in, in all likelihood it's just the artist being lazy but the i think comic? about I, i'm about to get to it i was just uh, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat right here boy <laughs> i was gonna talk about that one alpha flight issue where snow snowbird <laughs> is fighting a polar bear <laughs> in the snow so it's just a bunch of in panels a blizzard, of white in a snowstorm in a blizzard yeah <laughs> I mean, so it's just a bunch of sequences of just white on white on white, right? And, like, you're just reading the text. And, yeah, there's a very It's like easy, a bunch of thought balloons. Yeah, there's a very... Obviously, the most obvious thing that you can look at that, uh, that you can think when you look at that is, oh, this guy just didn't want to draw. That was lazy or whatever, right? But Lazy John Byrne. Lazy John Byrne. But there is something creative about that, too. Like, I... I have to admit, it's it's funny. It is, <laughs> you know? man. You know, and it, like it's it one even, of those things. If you do it once, it's pretty dang hilarious. But if you do it multiple times, yeah, then you're lazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Or even the first time that you do it, there's something there's something artistically creative about that. It's it's unexpected. I'll give you that. Totally, um, totally. I remember Jeff Lemire did uh, one issue of Bloodshot. Which is basically that, you know, it was about bloodshot within his uh, subconscious. So the whole, like, a majority of the comic just took took place in either either black screen or in static, you know. So it was him finding creative ways to communicate whatever story he was telling through mm-hmm. the void of nothingness, you know. Yeah. So you know. Say what you will about John Byrne, but there, there's something kind of creative about that, you know? Yeah, that, that might be John Byrne's high point. Yeah. And this is the guy that created, or that was uh, took part in the Dark Phoenix saga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What does that That's say? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it tells you what I think about John Byrne. <laughs> I was going to also include where, when you talked about how... Um, Whatever they did on camera um, in the streaming show just didn't live up to any of the experimentation that you saw in the comics. And uh, for the most part, I'd probably even say that it didn't even feel like they necessarily attempted to do anything uh, creative, you know? Yeah, I agree. Like, uh, I mean, if they did, I missed it. There, There was one scene that I did want to mention where in episode three... There's this huge car chase scene where Kate Bishop and Hawkeye are escaping from the the tracksuit mafia, and it's it's not a very long scene, but uh, they steal a car and once they get in, um, the perspective switches to the backseat of the car. So there's, I guess, if you take a step back, uh, logically speaking, you could probably say that what they've probably got is a camera in the backseat of the car on a swivel 
and it's just tracking in all 360 degrees. So it's really just capturing everything that's going on as they're driving, as they're going on this high-speed car chase. So you're seeing Kate, you're seeing uh, the 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 gangs as they're coming up behind them. You're seeing the gangs as they ride up beside them. Uh, it's just really capturing everything that's going on. I thought that was probably the most the closest thing that they did to like any experimental camera work but even then like i i feel like the extended track shot is something that we've seen done in several times already in other shows even other marvel shows you know because uh Mm -hmm. i remember loki did a shot like that once and even daredevil on netflix had like an extended fight scene where he was just beating up guys in one long extended shot you know yeah so yeah i mean that says something when like even the most experimental thing that they did wasn't really the most original thing you know yeah yeah and i'm not a super big tv buff so I, i i don't even i couldn't even think of something I've watched that I would say I would point to as an example of experimental television, but I can definitely say for certain that Hawkeye was an experimental. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it felt pretty by the numbers, I'd say. Yeah. Which is to be expected because we're watching a uh, Marvel Disney TV show. So like Actually, it's not it's not like I went into this expecting them to to do anything too crazy. Yeah. Actually, I was going to say uh, if we're talking about something experimental and this isn't necessarily a camera work thing, but I I'd even say something like WandaVision uh, as in terms of concept true. was pretty yeah. experimental, you know? That's true. Yeah. Like that was I don't know I don't know if it was groundbreaking, but I'd never seen anything like that. It was you know? creative. It was creative. Exactly. There we go. Yeah. Creative. Yeah. See, so they're capable of it, but they just didn't apply it to this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and again, I'm not saying that I expect everything to blow me away with a creative concept. Yeah. But I I do think that execution matters and in in the Hawkeye show, the 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 only thing that I thought was really outstanding was the character interactions and the banter. Like that that was probably what kept me interested and engaged in the show. It wasn't so much the story in and of itself or, or the plot. It was really just the the relationship between Clinton and Kate and then the, the other characters that show up like Echo and Black Widow. So uh yeah, those are that's that's the element that I think this show is really strong in the the other shows it feels like that we've seen so far they they've all had like different strengths and weaknesses now i feel like a common point of criticism that a lot of people have said about the other marvel disney shows disney plus shows is that the endings all were disappointing mm-hmm. like usually i don't really think about that too much but I I do th- and I, I don't think that Hawkeye's ending was disappointing, but I, I do think that the the last I don't know either the last episode or, or like 
a big significant chunk of the last episode just like a significant chunk of the end of this series really felt like it was a little bit limp for me it didn't really uh i mean i i don't say i don't think i was unsatisfied or expecting more i just think that the execution was wasn't the best and um if we're gonna go full spoilers then then i can try and explain what i thought um are we do do you have any other uh non-spoilery things that you wanted to say uh no i'm i'm fine with uh jumping right in feet first okay so yeah just going straight into spoilers now then in the in the last episode we see kangpin in and Did you say uh, kangpin king kingpin <laughs> okay <laughs> i was like ooh. No, I don't know never heard of that character. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's this he's this time traveling conqueror, <laughs> Kangpin. He's a time conqueror. traveling gangster. <laughs> yeah. He's a time traveling 1920s Chicago gangster. <laughs> yeah, she. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I mean, the cool thing about seeing Kingpin in this show is that they they got the actor who played him from uh, the Daredevil uh, TV show. Yeah, and and yeah. I thought that guy is a great actor, and he's a great kingpin. He was, yeah, he was a great kingpin in in the Daredevil TV series. Yeah, so it was definitely cool to see him show up in the official MCU. Well, but it it kind of felt like he didn't really add anything to the story, to be honest. Like it it felt like one of those things that they threw in there to to make fanboys happy and get yeah. people excited, you know. It was a, it was like a, it was just there for the hype, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I mean, like I, I, I guess with all of these shows, they they feel like they got to throw something in there to, you know, to to feed the masses, to 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 keep that raging Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, boner going, mm-hmm. but. But I don't know. I, I'm with you. It, like it just, as much as I liked Vincent D'Onofrio as the Kingpin, it just felt like this version of him here was almost a sillier version of the Kingpin than I remember from the Daredevil show. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and he was here's why I, sillier I, and maybe even more impotent. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Totally. That, that's exactly how I felt. And I, I think. If that's how they're going to use the Kingpin, then it w- they would have been better off not using him at all. So I don't think it was weak that they just introduced him in the first place. I think it was weak how they used him after bringing him into the show. And, yeah. and this is why I think that he was pretty much wasted. So first of all, that whole scene with him and Kate's mom where they're talking in in his office and she essentially tells him that whatever agreement or arrangement that they had in the past is now over because, you know, she basically wants out of whatever uh, relationship they had because uh, she wants to make sure her daughter uh, isn't involved in anything remotely shady or dangerous. And she basically, you know, tells him off and, and to his face and then gets up and walks away. Yeah. And he doesn't do anything until, you know, like he kind of like smiles and acts polite. And then he doesn't do anything until after she leaves. And 
I don't know, man. To to me, that doesn't feel like Kingpin. It it's yeah. hard to believe that Kingpin would let someone, let alone a woman, disrespect him to his face like that and just walk away with no consequence. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like that that just doesn't it it feels weird to me that that he would be so uh civil and and uh self-controlled about it like to just kind of yeah. take it and, and yeah i mean i i get the counter argument that uh you know if he's trying to be a, a respectable uh businessman on the surface of course he's not gonna like punch some lady <laughs> you know <laughs> like <laughs> Wait, that's not how you get customers? <laughs> I've been doing it wrong this whole time. <laughs> I think I think Is what this we why need we're to not do, getting followers, Drew? We need to go out into the street and punch listeners. We need to punch everybody we see in the street until they listen to our podcast. <laughs> we just gotta run around in the city punching everybody left and right <laughs> until they listen to between I keep the gutters. I keep handing out business cards, and all they keep saying back to me is, what are you doing in my house? <laughs> <laughs> See, there wouldn't be any confusion if you just punched them. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, in, in the show, he, he uh, you know, takes it to his face and then later on tries to, to plot something to get her back, which I, I guess is fair, but... I don't know. I just I still thought that his his reaction in that specific scene felt pretty weak-willed. Like that that wasn't that was not an intimidating kingpin at all. Yeah. And then the the second thing that really bugged me was when he shows up in person in in the city um near the very end during the battle scene and Kate Bishop straight up shoots him in the chest with an arrow and he just you know, shrugs it off, and they get into this big knockdown drag-out fight where she's throwing out a bunch of damage at him, you know, like, at at one point, she tosses a, like, a grenade, or a grenade at his feet, and, and uh, he survives an explosion, so, like, just seeing him withstand all this physical punishment and, and shrug it off like it was nothing, that was just head-scratching to me, like, Granted, I, I actually haven't watched season three of Daredevil, but at least from the first two seasons of Daredevil I watched, I don't remember him having superhuman powers. Yeah, yeah. Like when I watched Hawkeye, like when and he took that arrow and just kept on walking and and snapped it off. I straight up thought that at the end of this we were gonna learn that Wilson Fisk was a scrawl. <laughs> like that was that was the first thing I thought when I saw him take all the take the arrow and you know, just ignore it. Like it, it, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's a super strong dude and he's, he knows how to fight, but he's not a Superman or anything, you know, like, yeah, it, that, like, I don't really understand how he could take a grenade blast and, and just get up like nothing happened. Yeah. And then the the third thing was at the very end when you see him face off against Echo in the alleyway and she pulls out a gun and although we don't we don't see uh what happens to his body or what happens to him like the camera zooms out and or like you know we just see a, the skyline and then we hear we hear the gunshot um so the assumption is that echo shot the kingpin but it 
it it would feel pretty weird to go to all the trouble to to bring him back and just have him killed kind of off screen basically right like that that it feels makes like him feel like a nothing character <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah. like if you're going to shoot him at least let us see what happens you know and i don't think anybody i think most people who who watch the show assume that kingpin is alive so it's like who who is the director really fooling here you know like <laughs> why why even bother doing uh, a trick like that when everybody knows that he's gonna survive that gunshot it's, it's just weird to me man like i yeah i wasn't i wasn't too big a fan of of them of how they used kingpin in the show yeah i'd uh i think my disappointment in the character is pretty similar to yours i probably have some other gripes um the one that i well first of all i don't think i don't think the kingpin should ever wear hawaiian shirts that's that's <laughs> it's not a look that i enjoyed for him um you know he's he's menacing uh a mafia boss essentially and so where so you don't you don't think mobsters can wear hawaiian shirts what what about miami vice man yeah but they're usually kind of these low rent uh you know, low class kind of thugs, and the kingpin ain't that. You know, he's not. What about what about a uh, Scarface? Yeah, well, let's let's talk about Scarface, right? Like, even in Scarface, the guy came up from uh, Cuba. You know, he he didn't come from like high society or anything like that. He wasn't necessarily uh, cultured or civil or whatever. Like, you know, so to him, that's that's what was good looking, or that's that's. That's what he found aesthetically pleasing, and I just what don't. What about Wilson Fisk? Where where did he come from, man? That's true. I, I guess he did come from a pretty blue collar, from a pretty blue collar background. But I just don't see him. He's. I don't. When I picture Wilson Fisk, I don't picture Tony Montana. He's. He's probably a dude who. He might not be highfalutin, but I don't I don't picture him as low class either. Mm-hmm. And yeah, quite frankly, that's fair. that's fair. I think I think a Hawaiian shirt is beneath him. What you know? about the graphic novel <coughs> Spider-Man Family Business? That was the comic by Mark Wade, James Robinson, Gabriel Delato, and I think yeah. Werther Deledra. But it, it was a graphic novel from. I don't know, maybe 10, 10 years ago now. Yeah. It, it was Hello. a weird story, man. Like that, that story was about Spider-Man meeting his long lost sister. Yeah. <laughs> but well, the Kingpin was on the cover <laughs> and in on that cover, Gabriel Delato did draw a Kingpin wearing a white suit and a Hawaiian, sh- a red Hawaiian shirt that looked pretty similar to what we saw in Hawkeye. So do you yeah. think that was an intentional homage to that, to that cover? I- I do think it was an, a pretty intentional homage to that cover because that was the exact cover that I thought of. But that being said, and you know, this is me saying this as someone who's a fan of Mark Wade, like that shirt can go the way of Spider-Man's sister. <laughs> <laughs> it's like after that story, I, I don't know what happened to her, man. I don't know if anybody's ever. She's hanging her. out with the Stacy twins. Yeah. <laughs> They're just all on an island together, just hanging out with each other. Didn't Nick and Spencer like, bring back those twins? 
I don't know. I didn't read that far into like if he did like I don't it it's a pretty ballsy move to touch that rail because uh, I don't see anyone really being able to to address that story without well I mean without looking stupid but <laughs> you know if he can do it sure by all means. I'm, I'm, yeah, I've got to get caught up on the Nick Spencer stuff. I I fell off the, <laughs> the boat, so I, I. But I I feel like he might have uh, done something with that story, with those yeah. characters. I do feel like we kept up with it pretty decently. So and it just ended semi recently. Yeah, you know what what happened was I was keeping up with it through the trades at the library, but then and the then pandemic COVID. happened. Yeah, and and then I fell totally behind, and and then uh yeah I just haven't gone back. Yeah, and requested the following volumes at the library ever since. And speaking of that, I think I was only reading it because you were passing them on to me after you were done reading it. So yeah, so I wasn't going out of my way to to read them. So uh, so when you stopped reading them, I stopped reading them too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, the other thing I was gonna say was it did feel like Wilson Fisk's role. Like, they saved it all the way for the end to be this big, shocking moment, but it really felt is, like... It didn't really feel like it was that big of a shock either, because it felt like the, the clues that they had been laying out in the in the earlier episodes where they kept calling him something... I think they called him they the big man. just kept the boss, yeah. The, the they, big man or the big boss, yeah. and then that whole uh, thing about Echo and, and, her, and her past when the... I think the I think it was the battle where her father was killed. Yeah. That happened at that car dealership, right? And that place was called I think it was called Fat Man Car Dealership yeah, yeah, or something yeah. to that yeah. effect. So like once yeah. I saw that, it was like, oh, they're probably gonna bring in the kingpin. Yeah. Plus, I mean it's it's Echo, so it, it makes sense because that's a character in the comics who has her origins tied to Daredevil and Kingpin. Yeah, exactly. But I was gonna say that um yeah, they they put him in to be this this surprise shock, uh, you know, like Easter egg for for these um for the viewers, right? Mm-hmm. But they didn't really have him do anything. Like it it just felt like his entire role was just for him to be Wilson Fisk, and my preferred Wilson Fisk or Kingpin story has him orchestrating something, doing something, you know, and. You know, yeah. for him to just be there, just to, you know, chase be down some muscle. Like why? Why? Yeah, exactly. Like, why would for he him just go just, on the street and try to fight Kate Bishop? For him to just Bishop? be there to chase down Kate Bishop, it just felt like such a waste of him. You know, like ordinarily, like that's ordinarily, him. it really is beneath him. You know, it he would have to. You know, from what we've seen between him and uh, Daredevil, it, it, like, I'm accustomed to him. If he is going to show up, it, it makes more sense for him to be the one orchestrating something well behind the scenes, only to, to show up, you know, maybe if you showed him in profile at the, in, in one brief scene, right? Okay, sure. Mm-hmm. But they, they clearly put him in to... It felt like they put him into just enough of the last couple of episodes, but not so much just enough to like establish his presence, but not so much that not they didn't put him in so much that 
he could establish himself as this mastermind that he's supposed to be, you know? Yeah, he wasn't fearsome. He wasn't. And, like, you know, you mentioned Home Alone earlier. It it really did feel like Wilson Fisk <laughs> was just kind of this almost jokey uh, uh, villain on par with uh, the, the wet bandits from Home Alone uh, toward the end. <laughs> Especially when he was fighting Kate Bishop, it just felt like he was like, "I'll get you, kids!" Oh, <laughs> you know. It just, I, I, I didn't really take it too seriously, you know. That's true, man. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree. I agree. Yeah. So, uh, that that's probably that's that was my issue with uh with Wilson Fisk or or the Kingpin. The other thing yeah. was, um. The decision to have that shot happen at the end. You mentioned earlier that Echo, Echo as a character has her origin uh, tied to Wilson Fisk. Uh, it was in a story by David Mack called Parts of a Whole, mm-hmm. and uh, and one of the things about that story, one of the weakest elements of that story for me was always the fact that it ends. So so it's a Daredevil story, and it's about how uh, Wilson Fisk uses this girl echo as a tool she's this girl that uh whose father dies and wilson fisk raises her as her own uh as his own and raises her to 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 be this fighter and uh you know he supports her and she looks up to him as a father figure and then eventually he decides to use her against daredevil in in his personal life as well as uh to fight daredevil mm-hmm. on on equal terms physically you know so he introduces her into uh daredevil's life as this like romantic figure but then he also uh, puts them at odds against each other so so basically echo enters matt murdoch's life and she falls they you know fall in love, quote unquote, fall in love with each other within the span of a couple issues. But the the conflict is also that he tells her that Daredevil, who is also Matt Murdock, is the one that's responsible for her father's death. So this puts Matt Murdock at odds. You know, that that's the conflict for him, right? Mm-hmm. So uh Yeah, so so basically what they did was they incorporated that Daredevil story into this Hawkeye story. You know, they took parts of that and and put it here into this uh hawkeye story and i one of the weakest things that i always thought uh one of the weaker elements of that story was how it ended because it ends with um maya lopez finding out that kingpin is actually responsible for the death of her father and it's not matt murdoch it's not daredevil and she decides to take it out on 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 the kingpin at the end and in the comic, what you see is she pulls a gun on the kingpin, and then she fires these shots, and that's it. And I think, from how I remember the 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 scene, like we as the reader assume that Wilson Fisk is dead, but then you see a couple of pages later that he's alive. But now there are two bandages over his eyes, and he's blind. <laughs> see, I, I actually have that comic, yeah, in my hands right now, uh-huh. and she's. There's they're standing inside a, a boxing ring, and she's got a gun pointed at Wilson Fisk's face, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, just inches away from his face, 
Uh-huh. And the the way that the sequence ends is she you see Maya from the perspective of the kingpin where the gun is pointing, you know, straight out of the panel and then you hear one gunshot implying that she fired one shot at his face at point blank range. Yeah. And then you flip the page and then the camera pans out a little bit and you just see Kingpin lying face down and there's a big pool of blood, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, around his head. And then, you know, it, it, after that, it, it cuts away to to uh, Matt Murdock and, and Black Widow. But uh, when you get to the end of the actual issue, you see that Kingpin is alive and, and Kingpin's got the two bandages over his eyes, which is, you're, you're right, man. That is a weird ending. Yeah. Like it realistically it feels speaking, like sh- he should shooting be dead. a guy in the face. <laughs> yeah. Shooting a guy in the face should kill him from that range. But it was one of those like, things it, it, where it would have made more sense if she had just like poked him hella hard in the eyes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like if she had done one of those three stooges eye pokes. <laughs> yeah. Like that would have made more sense. But just straight up shooting him in the face, I don't. Yeah. I don't really see how. Number one, how would he survive that? Secondly, yeah. how would he survive that without requiring any kind of cosmetic surgery? And the only consequence is him losing his vision. Yeah. Like that that part doesn't make any sense. Like it, if if he would have survived getting shot in the face, I could believe it if she shot off like his lower jaw or something, or maybe she yeah. just shot him shot him at an angle where she completely missed his skull and his brain and whatnot. But then at that point, he kind of should look like Arse face from Preacher. Yeah, his face should be nothing but chunks, flapping chunks of, like, skin and uh, uh, cheek and bone and uh, mass, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's one I mean, of those... He, he looks perfectly fine. He's just got bandages on his eyes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I feel like it was one of those things where uh, David Mack was trying to be poetic, where he was like, wouldn't it be crazy if we tell a story where the kingpin ends up blind? You know, just... Just like know, Daredevil. I, yeah, just as a form of poetic justice or something. But mm-hmm. that's a hard thing to achieve and to just have someone shoot him in the face and then him go blind like that. Like, it's a precarious move because it means that for whoever writes him next... Uh, they they had to work around that, right? And fortunately for us, Bendis was the one who took over that uh, the character after that and found a way to make it work, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. But in the hands of anybody else, it would have just... They would have, like, cloned him, and he would have <laughs> had his mind transferred to the body of a clone, and I, I would have just been like, this... What is this? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> You, you know? could have gone back in time and stopped her from shooting his younger self. Ugh. You know, because a crime boss has access to that kind of technology. <laughs> he does if he's the Kang pin. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, in, in short, uh, I'm sure there were a lot of people who, who thought that the surprise of the Kingpin was, you know, this, this huge... Uh, Easter egg that ties in the Marvel universe, but we—it was just wasted opportunity here. Can't can't say that uh, I had any love for I I had more love for Daredevil showing up in just 
a few seconds in Spider-Man No Way Home. I had more love for that than I did for all of what Kingpin did. Yeah, in, same here. Uh, same here. In, uh, uh, what's it called? Hawkeye. In Hawkeye, exactly. Yeah. Do you think when we see Kingpin show up in the next MCU story that he'll be blind? I have a feeling that that's what's going to happen. Uh, it's it's like I said, like they're they're cripping a lot of stuff from uh from from the source material. I so you mentioned earlier that as as a viewer, for them to pan out and not show what happened to the kingpin, like for us, we can look at that and go, oh. We know he survived, so who are you trying to trick? What's that for, right? But, mm-hmm. well, me and you, we we know comics, so that's not a big surprise to us. So, I do feel like for people who don't know parts of a whole or people who don't really know the comics, that would be a surprise for them. You know? Would it really, though? Because it, it kind of feels like one of the rules in in tv action movies is if you don't see the body then the guy might not be dead oh yeah but i don't think people are nearly that sophisticated (laughs) dang you got a really low opinion of the masses i do you know how many people watched uh big bang theory what do i have (laughs) i'm pretty sure that uh when it does happen when kingpin does show up like it might not even they might not even have to tell themselves that oh he was gonna be alive all along or we should have known like just the surprise of him being alive but blind is gonna be enough for them to be frothing at the mouth <laughs> you know that's because it's not point, really man. about the storytelling it's more about the the shock value of it all right yeah yeah you right you right yeah um. What were, were there other? There any, some, go ahead. Were, were there any other elements of Hawkeye the series that uh, had, gave you a negative impression, or was that pretty much the the main thing that hurt it for you? I think so. I I, I think to sum it up, um, the the use of the kingpin was probably the most egregious thing. But I I'd probably go back to the to what you said earlier, which was. Uh, that the plot really didn't feel especially inspired. Uh, you know, it didn't. Mm-hmm. It didn't really do much for me. Like I, it wasn't the kind of show where at the end of each episode I was just chomping at the bit to know what happened next. Like I just didn't really. I was watching it to enjoy these characters, but yeah, like I. So I watched the first four episodes when they came out. Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't even watch them as they were coming out. I think I, I, I got to a point where four episodes were out, and I watched four because, quite frankly, I didn't have anything else to do. And then... Uh, <laughs> then no, then they came out with the, the last two episodes, and, uh, and I didn't watch them until today just because I didn't... Yeah, like, that's pretty telling in and of itself. I just wasn't in a place where I really wanted to know where I felt like I needed to know how, mm-hmm. how it ended. Uh, yeah. Save for, save for to, to show up to this podcast and to be able to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 
So uh, th- those were probably the the weakest elements of it. What about some of the stronger elements? What were the uh, things that stood out to you? Yeah, uh, I we we mentioned it earlier, and I I'm gonna go back to it, but I I do think that the actors that they picked were pretty well done and likable and enjoyable. Uh, Jeremy Renner and uh, Haley Steinfeld and uh, Florence Pugh. Uh, and yeah, I just, I enjoyed most, if not all of their interactions with one another. Just a lot of the scenes where they're just kind of hanging out with each other and, um, you know, communicating and mm-hmm. maybe not even necessarily doing anything specific, you know, uh, which, which is yeah. kind of a weird Weird thing to like about a show when you're explaining it uh, to someone uh, as a as an objective third party, you know. But I, I guess it's yeah, I guess it's kind of that element of slice of life that mm-hmm. I enjoy or that we enjoy that uh, yeah, same here. That that it captures, you know, just it's it's watching these people be likable with one another you know yeah they don't have to be doing superheroic stuff they can just be doing stuff in their downtime and and that's that's fun that's fascinating it's exactly entertaining like i I think about some of the 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 scenes that stood out to me would be like the part where yelena and kate eat macaroni together (laughs) like yeah that's a great scene. Just, I love yeah, that that's scene. A, that's a great scene. There was that one scene where uh, Clint and Kate were staying at. Uh, I forget. Was that her? Like was it was like Kate's friend's place or something? Or like somebody like the wherever it was they were staying and they were watching like Christmas specials on TV and and just you know decorating a tree and and you know enjoying a holiday night. Uh, with each other because they didn't have anybody else at that point in time. Yeah, I want to say that was I want to say that was Kate's place. Her place was the place that got hit in no, the no, fire. No. Maybe it was Clint's place. Like no, one of his... no, that wasn't his place. I I think it was like her, someone who who she knew. But I I just it just slips my mind at the moment. Mm-mm-mm. But that that was a good scene. There yeah. was also that scene when Kate and Yelena find each other at the at the ball or the party at the last episode in the last yeah. episode. Yeah. And then they they uh, cross paths while kind of like mingling through the crowd, and then later on they're on that elevator. Yeah. And that I thought the elevator scene was pretty funny too. Like that's definitely a top four elevator scene in the MCU. <laughs> Uh, it was definitely one of my favorite scenes in the show. Uh, just if you had to rank the best elevator scenes in the MCU, what would what would be your list, Albert? Uh, that's a very specific question that I don't have a very uh, that I don't have an answer to. If I had to be <laughs> perfectly honest, so I'm not gonna engage you on it. Okay, okay. Then uh, we are now disengaged, Albert. We are disengaging. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it, it makes me think. I remember, here's the thing. 
so I, I mentioned earlier that I, I ended up watching those two episodes uh, today after they'd been out for a couple of weeks already. And I remember after the, the episodes came out, they came out around, what, Christmas, I think? I think the last episode might have come out around Christmas. I don't remember. Yeah, but, the last episode came out a couple days before Christmas. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, so it had been out for a while, but I remember uh, I saw some clips on YouTube of uh, just Florence Pugh uh, being Yelena Belova and just, you know, clips clips from the final two episodes of her just interacting with Hi- Haley Stanfield and just, you know, being playful with one another, right? The algorithm got you good. It certainly did. It often does. I'm I'm a product of it. But <laughs> I remember watching the scenes out of context, and they're just fun, delightful little moments, you know? They're kind of jokey, they're playful, and it's just these people being charming with one another. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily need to be anything more. It's not nothing. It's nothing that I demand any more of than that, right? It's just, right. It's sometimes you, you just want to be able to view these people just being clever with one another, and you you get whatever satisfaction that you get from that. And I remember looking at the comments, which you should never do because the internet's a terrible place, <laughs> but. I remember looking at the comments and somebody was on there and they were just like, this isn't funny. This was a waste of time. Like, and someone tried to respond to them by saying something to the effect of, well, it's character building. Right. And this person was just adamant about it saying, how does this build character? What is this? uh, What does this explain about Yelena? What does it do for her? And it's just like, not everything has to be this really serious moment, this really somber moment. Like there are some things where, in real life, sometimes people just have quiet moments with each other, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And then when I finally saw that scene play out in the actual episode, it, it's actually extended a lot longer because it, it ended up being, like, I want to say the first quarter of the episode as these two are, even though they're having this fun little moment, this fun, like, back and forth with each other, beneath the surface, what's bubbling is the idea that Yelena wants to kill Clint Barton and... You know, even though she's not outright saying, I'm going to go through you in order to do it uh, if I have to, like... It's her way of kind of warning Kate. Yeah, in in probably the most disarming way possible, right? Yeah, I think what it shows about Yelena is that she's extremely confident in her own abilities, and she doesn't really regard Kate as a serious threat, you know? yeah. Yeah. Like she's comfortable enough to do that. She she snuck into Kate's place and surprised her and and you know made some macaroni before Kate even got home. So yeah. It it also shows you that Elena's got some resourcefulness to her. She's able to track people down and and yeah. surprise people. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean but that specific that's what you that... see from her character. That that's what that scene yeah. shows you. I don't I don't exactly. really know what your uh, random YouTube comment dude is talking about. Yeah, it just seemed like he was just a salty hater who didn't appreciate the fact that she made a couple of jokes about how she likes uh, macaroni cheese with uh, hot sauce, you know. I mean, the, I, I think the other thing it shows about her is that... She's got good taste. That's delicious. It's not just that. She's still a teenager on some level, right? She's still kind of a kid, you know? Is Wait, is Yelena supposed to be a teenager? Not a kid, but... 
Well, she's younger than us. She's younger than us, uh, certainly. But, well, mm, okay, maybe, okay, teenager wasn't the right word, but she's still young. A young lady. A young lady is what, right? Someone who still does what young people do. They enjoy things in a silly way sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, I don't know, for this person to just random YouTuber, you know, to just go and be salty about it because, yeah, their their specific response was, that's just bad comedy. It's like, why don't you just, like, pull the stick from your butt, dude? Just chill out, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no kidding. I am unimpressed by him or her, by them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, it's like you say sometimes, man, that that guy's parents were probably siblings. <laughs> probably. <laughs> siblings that hated each other. <laughs> he didn't yeah. even have he didn't even have anything closely resembling a loving home. All he can really do is take out his anger on the comments <laughs> section in YouTube. <laughs> his only joy in life is to Look for videos that other people enjoy so he can crap on them. <laughs> yeah. And making and just make stupid comments comments at that. But yeah. anyways. I was gonna say, like, one of the other moments that I actually enjoyed was there's a scene where Yelena and um Kate are both running as uh you know, cause uh Kate Kate messed up the elevator, so they're both trying to run to the window because Yelena's going to jump out the window and try to get at Clint mm -hmm. uh, and, and kill him from, from the top floor, right? So there's this sequence where they're just running against each other, and even though uh, Kate Bishop isn't... is nowhere near as good a fighter as Yelena is, um, there there's a... there's almost a fun playfulness to how they're fighting each other as they're running across this floor. You yeah. know, I yeah, remember that watching pretty that. Amusing. It, it made me chuckle. Right. I mean, it's not something akin to like a Jackie Chan movie or anything like that, but there is, <laughs> there's a playfulness to it that, yeah, that's pretty lighthearted and just makes me laugh. You know? Yeah. They, they had some pretty funny banter. I, I think at one point Kate was like, stop making me like you so much or something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. you know, because, because uh, Yelena was pretty charming. Yeah. Yeah, she's definitely one of my favorite newer characters uh, from this year. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm And I don't know. Like, I don't know what to say to people who, who think that that's, stuff like that is corny or not funny. Like, I don't know, man. I mean, it, Maybe. It, it probably wouldn't be found. You probably wouldn't find something like this in a Zack Snyder movie. Yeah, yeah, I, like, maybe they need something more hard-edge, uh, maybe that's that's the kind of comedy they need, I, I don't know what to say to that, man, it's, Maybe you know. if Kate and Yelena just stopped trying to tell jokes and instead, uh, <laughs> you know, insulted each other and tried to genuinely kill each other, then it would have been, like, really good storytelling in that guy's mind. Maybe. Or he would have needed them to, you know, maybe make some, like, really edgy edgy jokes or something. Just 
Why did you say Martha? Yeah. Why did you say that? Yeah. <laughs> but that was even that was unintentional comedy. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't something they planned. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, uh yeah, and back to that elevator scene, like one of the things I loved about it was uh yeah, like when they were on the elevator and and Kate Bishop is trying to, you know, she's she's trying her best to stop Elena, but it's not like she's going so far as to like gouge her eye out or something. She's just kind of being irritating and, and a, mm-hmm. a nuisance, you know. Yeah. So what does she do? She just like presses all the buttons on the elevator. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> yeah, that funny, made me man. laugh. It is funny. <laughs> yeah, and then like. When when that happens, um, Elena's like, "What are you doing?" And like, they get into like a, a brief physical altercation, and it ends with Kate just she just smacks her, she smacks Elena in the face, yeah. and she's just like, "What is that?" <laughs> just you know? indignant. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was funny, man. Yeah, totally. So stuff like that, I did enjoy. I do think one of the things that I appreciated was. And this was something that I thought of initially in the first four episodes, so I don't... I'd have to really think if it still applies now that I've finished the rest of the series, but I do remember thinking that at the time, one of the one of the themes that I was thinking uh, when I was trying to search for meaning in this show was, like, what, what jumped out at me? And one of the things that jumped out at me was the idea that it did feel like a lot of the show, when it began, was... And, and this could be a reach on my part, but it did feel like it was it was a show that was trying to find the joy in superheroics after years mm. and years of uh, having these big epic stories, having things like Infinity War or Endgame that was that just built around these giant dramatic moments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like this series was something that really tried to find the joy in what it meant to, to to tell a superhero story, right? And I was thinking about that a little bit. I was thinking about how the series starts with Clint Barton. He's he's at a musical with his children and he sees he sees one of the actors on the stage look uh she she's dressed as Black Widow and it makes him flash back to mm-hmm. to the to the traumatic moment where he watched her die. You know, yeah. but then, but then the story has him connect with this youthful, uh, bright-eyed version of himself. Well, not not himself, but this youthful, bright-eyed young woman who was inspired by, by just the idea of him, right? And mm-hmm. it sort of helps him reconnect with that the joy of yeah the joy of what it means to be a superhero, and. Mm-hmm. There are like several different scenes where I just feel like they try to bring that point home. Um, you know, things like him making that weird connection with the LARPing community, you know? Yeah, that's like, true. In order to get his Ronin costume, he has to he has to you know, instead of like beating these people up, they say, Well, we'll give you the costume back, but you have to LARP with us. And it's him like yeah. just kind of engaging in this yeah it's him engaging in this like ridiculous activity and then 
even things like the way that they play with the uh, trick arrows, that's that's something where I feel like in recent years with other characters like Green Green Arrow over at DC, for example, like I feel like it's been in fashion to move away from trick arrows, which was something which was an which was a thing from like the early early days of comics when when they had uh, these archer characters. You you had like a boxing glove arrow, or you yeah, had like, like how are you supposed to shoot a boxing arrows. glove arrow? Yeah, stuff like that, right? Like, how do you even keep a boxing glove arrow in your quiver? Like when you pull exactly. it out, wouldn't it knock out all the other arrows? Exactly, but I feel like in recent years it has been a tendency to move away from that and just play these characters straight with just regular arrows. So they've down. It feels like they've downplayed that a lot. And what we saw in the Hawkeye show was them leaning into that idea, leaning into these uh, just the absurdity of all the bizarre arrows that he could have at his disposal. You know. Which Speaking is, of his trick arrows, I wanted to ask you if you remember, yeah. but in the other in the other Marvel flicks, did he really use that many trick arrows? Because like I don't remember too much other than maybe like a bola or something. But did he did he have like a wide variety of trick arrows in the other movies? I think the only ones that I remember were the explosives and the and probably the bolas. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He he had a whole bunch of stuff in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like. Stuff that we just never seen before, you know? But, uh, yeah, but that's... It's the sort of... uh, It's the sort of trope, I guess, that only worked for comics of a certain period, in my Mm -hmm. mind. And it's not the type of thing that is in fashion to go back to. And for them to go back to that, I, I thought that was an interesting move on their part, you know? Yeah, just I mean, they, me even had, they even had the USB arrow, man. Yeah, yeah. It just made me wonder if they were Th- doing that this. That was something straight up from the Fraction run. Oh, oh, oh right, 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 right. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. Yeah, but it just made me wonder if if that was what was going on beneath the surface. If it was their way of just celebrating the idea of Hawkeye in, you know, all aspects of Hawkeye. You know, not not just the bad ass that we've we've come to know but yeah you know even even some of the sillier elements of his backstory they were, they were trying to make archery great again <laughs> <laughs> i'm not touching do you, that <laughs> do you think there was some subtext there um i mean i haven't watched the dc television show arrow based on green arrow but do you think there's some subtext in hawkeye that's kind of like poking fun at something like Green Arrow, where it's like Green Arrow might be, or the Arrow show might be something that, again, I, I haven't seen it, so I don't even know if this is accurate, but if it's a show that takes itself really seriously, do you think that the way that Hawkeye feels comfortable enough to be goofy, do you think that's some kind of like subtext about the tendency for DC to want to veer towards the gritty and the serious aspects of st- superhero comics stories. Well, that's so I can't fully answer that because I I've never watched Arrow myself. Like oh, from what I have seen, it it just feels like they they pretty much cornered the market on that on on that movement to make uh, 
to try to take uh, these lesser known characters and try to, you know, quote unquote, treat them seriously. Right. Right. So that, that isn't to say that they're completely devoid of humor, but a, a lot of the times, even from what I remember of the commercials, like, uh, they tended to play it very, very gritty. They played a, they used a lot of the street level characters and, um, yeah, they, they really, uh, just emphasize the severity of it all. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's fair to say when you looked, look at where the DC cinematic universe, um, you know, if, if we're going to include television, uh, within that for the longest time, that seemed to be the direction that they were going, which was to tell these stories where, you know, everything was just incredibly somber. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do think in recent years, Marvel especially, and now that I'm thinking about it, if you put it in the context of like whatever the Disney business model is, mm-hmm. uh, or or whatever their their brand is, it does it does feel like it would fit with what they're trying to do to 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 tell these more lighthearted, hopeful stories, right? Yeah. So. So they could be, one could, one could surmise that they might be making a, not necessarily a push, but they might be trying to veer their mark, their stories in another direction, you know, mm-hmm. one one that suits, you know, the the Disney brand or or the form of st- storytelling that they're accustomed to telling on that that end of the house, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Like I don't know, especially in recent years it really does feel like that that seems to be the distinction between the two. Uh, like it just feels like the emo kids are the ones who uh you know the 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 emo metal kids or whatever are the ones who tend to gravitate towards uh the Snyder stuff. And, uh, you know, supposedly the softer kids are the ones who are into uh, the Marvel stuff, right? Because Wouldn't the emo <laughs> kids fall under that category? Uh... Because if, if they're into emo, then wouldn't they be in touch with their emotions? Well, but aren't they into, like, just one particular emotion, which is just grief and sadness? Uh... Huh, that's a good point, man. Yeah, right. I, I got to think about that. I got to think about that. I mean, I think there's a I lot mean, of emo music, especially modern emo music that knows enough not to there's a, there's a sense of irony to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Certainly modern emo artists certainly have more self-awareness about what they're writing about than like late 90s or early 2000s new metal. Like, I have more confidence that a modern emo band has a sense of irony than something like Limp Bizkit, you know? Well, I mean, Limp Bizkit's not really ironic. It's just terrible. Yeah, yeah. Or, (laughs) you know, you just made me think of of some Papa Roach. (laughs) 
Cut my life into pieces. <laughs> this is my last resort. Like, that's a song that I don't think that they had a sense of irony when they were writing it. That one is... I take that one at face that value, man. genuine. Yeah. <laughs> it was genuinely bad. Yeah. Well, let me put it this way. Like, if we were to, like, get a person and have them utter, like, a brief description of themselves, do you think you could tell what, like, a DCU fan... Do you think you could tell if they were a DCU fan? uh fan or not like is there a, a certain type of archetype that exists where you're like oh uh, yeah that guy would like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think so because you and i like to pigeonhole people that that uh like stuff we don't like <laughs> <laughs> it makes it easy for me when i live my life assuming that i know people that i don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of like some of the themes that we that uh i noticed uh i was wondering if you picked up on any themes or ideas in the show that that jumped out at you here's the thing about hawkeye the thing that stood out the most to me was it it really just felt like a romp just a fun action, not exactly a comedy, but a lighthearted action story. Mm. It felt so much like that to the point where I was trying to grasp at things to to chew on to see if there was anything in the text that would make me think about something or, or challenge my thinking in any way. And it, it was... It was pretty hard. Like I would even say that some of the other Marvel shows, they they at least tried to give us something to consider, you know, like even though maybe they weren't the most subtle, at least they tried to explore ideas or if not explore, they at least introduced ideas that if we as the viewer spent the time thinking about they we would have stuff to think about you know like i think about the way that wandavision tried to get people to think about what it means to grieve and and lose something you know like even it may not have been the most complex exploration of that emotion but at least it introduces enough to make you as the audience kind of consider that or something mm. like uh the falcon and the winter soldier bringing in socio-political issues you know that that's something a little bit more to chew on you know whereas with with hawkeye this one kind of feels like there isn't a whole ton to to grab onto because it's so it's it's kind of like i don't know eating a a cake you know like it's it's sweet and it tastes good but it's not really uh a super satisfying or completely uh it's not a complete meal in and of itself you know it's like something you can enjoy as a snack mm. or as dessert mm. like the things that did stand out that i think that the show was trying to to communicate was obviously family like that was one of the things that that uh jumps out at, you know like multiple characters have certain issues with their respective families like for clint 
it's really just simply him trying to get back to his family so he can spend a holiday with them and just be, you know, it's like a meaningful thing. And, and yeah. he obviously has a great relationship with his family and they all love each other. Mm-hmm. So it's him just trying to be a good husband and a good uh, father to his family. Then with Kate, you have her whole thing with her mom, which is, it's a little bit more complex because even though it's not like they hate each other, but they don't see eye to eye on how to go about life. And then Kate's mom ends up making some decisions with the kingpin that Kate learns about. And it, it ends up going pretty badly. Mm. Um, so there, there's an element there where you get to see kind of this fractured relationship, or I guess maybe you could even say you ca- you kind of get to see a relationship fracture between mother and daughter across the course of the couple days that the series takes place. Cause it's like, you, you know that when she's growing up, when Kate's growing up, when her father died, her, her mom was the one who was taking care of her and enrolled her in all these extracurriculars so she could learn all these different skills and whatnot. Her mom was still able to make enough money through, I guess what we learned later on is dealings with the kingpin so that they can live a comfortable upper-class life. But then once it gets to the point where, uh, you know, we reach the modern day, we see that her Kate learns that her mom is engaged to this guy that she doesn't really know. And it turns out that her mom was just like using him as a, as a fall guy. Um, (laughs) It's, it's a lot of like weird. It's a pretty weird. The whole thing with the swordsman was a, a weird subplot. Yeah. Like at the end, at the end of the movie, I mean the end of the series, he was kind of just this zany character. Like he, yeah, he's, he starts off as this red herring where you think he's uh, a sinister guy, but it yeah. turns out he's just extremely weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say that I did get some entertainment from just seeing him be weird, but I, it just felt extemporaneous for him to be involved at all other than that right like i I don't think whatever enjoyment i got from seeing him there was worth like the time dedicated to having him in in it right exactly exactly i i I would even go so far as to say that if they wanted to introduce the swordsman into the marvel cinematic universe like i'm fine with them going with that guy like i i thought he was kind of charming and quirky and funny you know so i was mm-hmm. like cool this guy's this guy's cool he's he's kind of uh kind of a funny dude to have in in their in their universe as part of the fold right but totally totally again the amount of time that they dedicated to building that guy up and putting him there just <laughs> just just like well once you get the payoff it's like i don't think that was i think if anything that energy and time just detracted away from like other parts of the story that you could have been telling you know yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're yeah. absolutely right. I mean, um, it was also sorry to interrupt, but no, go ahead. It was go also ahead. weird just to see him at the end. <laughs> like, w- once he shows up at the end, he's just like, "Well, I guess I'm just this guy with this sword now," and he's just like stabbing people in the street. <laughs> <laughs> he's just. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, what? <laughs> There, like, there was something goofy about that. That was really weird. 
<laughs> like if it wasn't so funny, he'd be a serial killer. Because <laughs> he was just like, I just got out of jail. They they like framed me for this uh, murder. They let me out of jail for the time being. Now I'm gonna kill people. <laughs> yeah, now I have this sword. I'm just gonna stab people in the street. <laughs> I'm just going to go around stabbing random people. <laughs> if they're wearing a tracksuit, then I guess I can stab them. <laughs> Dead. <laughs> like, it was mind-boggling what I was looking at. I was like, he like he had no real, realistically speaking, he had no real understanding of everything that was going on because he was out of the loop. So he shouldn't have any real stake in any of this. Like, number one, why did he have a sword on him in the first place? Yeah. Number two, why didn't he just run home after all that stuff happened? Yeah. After they got evacuated. Yeah. I mean, he is out on bail for killing someone. Is killing more people really the thing that you're going to do to prove that you're not a killer? <laughs> Pretty comical, man. Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, so I was just saying about uh, the theme of family with Kate. You you see her relationship with her mom essentially kind of fall apart at the very end. You know, by the time they finish, by the time they finish dealing with the kingpin, uh, I think it's fair to say that things will never be the same between them again. Mm. So there there was something kind of, I guess, sad about seeing that unfold. But I think um, it it wasn't it didn't really feel super emotional or anything. But it it's just one of those things that I noticed when I was trying to examine the show for how it uh, approached family and showed showed us different familial relationships that the characters had. And then the next character would be Yelena, who's still suffering from the loss of her sister. And I guess we finally get to see that whole uh, post-credits scene from Black Widow come to fruition, where she's hunting down the man that she believes killed her sister. And uh, what did you think about their conversation on the on the ice skating rink when you know, like when she finally seemed to? I don't know if you could say that she forgave him, but when they had that kind of heart-to-heart moment, like, did that scene work for you, Albert? Or, like, do you think that Yelena finally received her closure, or is she still processing things? Uh, I mean, when you take, take a step back, it feels like there's no other way that could have ended. Uh, like, well, maybe not in that specific way, but... She could have killed him. Yeah, but realistically <laughs> speaking, they were going to have to make some sort of peace, right? So, I get that. That would have been don't... a dark ending if she killed him on Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it just still felt... Maybe it felt a little too convenient having him whistle the, the tone... That 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 tune yeah. from the movie. Um, yeah. I, I will say that it was pretty clever of them to set it up you know take to take that to set it up all the way in the movie to 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 have it come back here but 
it still felt a little, oh, okay, that's why you did all that, you know? It still felt mm. kind of obvious. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I think by the time we got to that scene, I wasn't, I wasn't super tuned in anymore. Uh, yeah, that that last, that last maybe half of that final episode, I was I was just, yeah, I was just watching just to get it done. I I, I can't say that much of the much of the. Uh, yeah, because at this point, they had established three or four different points of closure that they were trying to achieve, right? Mm-hmm. So they were trying to give Elena her closure. They were trying to give Clint his closure. They were trying to give uh, Echo her closure mm-hmm. and uh, Kate Bishop whatever closure she needed. So they, they kind of had a lot of balls in the air. Um, yeah, I, I do think that it might have been too much it it just felt like they were siloing a lot of people off to have their respective uh battles going on to have uh, have it all sorted itself out um i don't know like i wouldn't i wouldn't say that it was a messy ending but i i do think there was a lot going on and by the time i got to end, the end of it I I didn't necessarily feel like I logically I I, I accepted that they all got their endings, but I I don't know mm-hmm. I don't think I was emotionally satisfied by by any right. of the things that I saw, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Understandable, understandable. Yeah, yeah. What about and, yourself? And I th- I think I felt pretty much uh, very similar to how what you just what you just described. It was one yeah. of those. Yelena's resolution in particular, that one, it it was the, I guess, the predictable ending, you know? Like, that was how yeah. we would expect that encounter to end. It would have just been, it would have been way too dark if she had succeeded in killing him. Yeah. Like that, that probably wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like absolutely. It, I, think, I think if they had killed him in the show, then it... It would have been uh, something that a lot of fans would have been probably upset with. It would have been something would that they, I though? think. Well, Hawkeye's I think so. not really beloved. <laughs> Hawkeye's Hawkeye's not beloved. Like Clint Barnes, not a beloved Avenger, and like people don't like. I I think you and I have far more affection and love for Certainly. Hawkeye as an Avenger Certainly. than almost everybody else. Yeah, but yeah, for sure. Here's the thing that that I did notice, man, because. There were there was a pretty loud contingent of people online that that weren't down with the idea of Kate Bishop because it's another example of Marvel replacing a man with a woman, you know? Like there's you a mean contingent they of people down for it for this show or like just going all the way back to her inception. The show. I don't I don't even think those people read comics, so oh. they probably have no idea that Kate Bishop is Hawkeye. So like yeah. to them, it's just you know some kind of SJW agenda where they want to replace all the men with women. Oh, well, if that's the case, then they just totally should have killed Clint. Elena <laughs> should have just curb stomped him right on the spot. <laughs> she should have had him dead to rights on the ground, splayed there for all the world to see, 
and it would have just been her stomping his nuts until he ultimately passes away from the shame and humiliation. She could have hung his <laughs> nutsack on the Christmas tree as an ornament. Uh, it would have been... The scene would have been like in that Key and Peele sketch where they have a uh, all-ball uh, AMA or whatever. <laughs> where it was, where there was that UFC fighting league, but instead of like doing regular moves, all they do are nut shots. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, you were saying. I don't even remember what I was saying anymore, man. I think I think that we're was talking really... about. You were talking about how um, oh, there yeah, was a just, contingent of people who would have been upset if Clint had died. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and again, I don't think it's because they have actual affection. Genuine affection. It, it yeah. was more just they don't like women. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. It's it's the dregs of the internet, man. When you when you look on Twitter and, and you know, just that, that whole section of fanboy dumb yeah yeah it's i don't know it's we we've harped on this a lot in the past i don't want to spend more energy on it than i have to although in my personal life i i'm more than happy to spend time just crapping on these people because <laughs> quite frankly they deserve it and i'm more than happy to do it <laughs> uh they're yeah Anyways. Yeah, I guess there's an interesting contrast between Yelena and Maya Lopez because both of them are trying to, in their minds, they're trying to avenge their their family member. So with, with Echo, she's trying to avenge her father. So she holds Hawkeye or Ronan, Clint Barton, responsible for that. And I, I guess, I don't know. I guess once she figures out that, uh, once Echo figures out that Kazi was the one who uh, betrayed her. There's a, there's a, there's a, I guess a contrast between how she responds to that information and how uh, things end up for Yelena's story arc because Yelena ends up forgiving the person that she incorrectly thought murdered her sister, mm-hmm. while Echo ends up. Uh, going after the kingpin for being the one who ultimately is revealed to be the one who had her father killed. Mm-hmm. So there, you? yeah, oh, there's some kind of contrast, but I, I don't really think that there's a whole lot more to, to read into it or if there yeah, is, it I, it's not coming to mind. Yeah. It like, I didn't think about it until you just mentioned it, but even then it doesn't feel like it's something that's super deep or anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What were you about to say? Well, I was going to ask about uh, that. Would you say his name was Kazi? Yeah, and he's another character that was uh, from the Fraction run. He was the clown. Okay, okay. I was going to ask. I was like, I didn't. Uh, I wasn't familiar with him off the top of my head. So. Yeah, okay. in in the Fraction Aha comics, Aha is it Aha or Aja? I th- I think I've said both in this episode. I think for the longest time we pronounced it Aja, but uh, I think. We've heard more more knowledgeable people than us refer to him as Aha. Okay, yeah. So, so in in their run, they they introduced uh, the clown who was 
he was basically an assassin working alongside the tracksuit mafia trying to kill Clint. But uh, in the comic, he was definitely, well, number one, he actually put on clown makeup on his face and he was a true sociopath. Like he was a, a dangerous, evil individual. Like a, you know, the assassin type, like, I don't know, like a poor like man. Like a silent bullseye. killer? Yeah. yeah. Whereas in, in the TV show, they kind of reimagined him. They basically just used his name, but they didn't they didn't even... Uh, yeah. You know, he he, it could have been anybody. Like he was a thug for hire, uh, second in command or something. Yeah, yeah, he was just... Yeah, the you're right, of that he could have been anybody. He could have yeah. been anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things where I guess it, it's kind of an Easter egg, if you want to call it that, where they just use the name of an established character, but mm. the character in the show really doesn't have anything too much in common with the, the actual character. I don't know. Does that is that something that ever bothers you, or is it just uh, doesn't really matter? Um, I mean. I think it just depends on which characters. Like, if it's someone that I had, like, genuine affection for, then it might arc me a little, but for the most part, it's... Yeah, it's it's not something I care about too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. One of the other themes that I think the show uh, tried to... I don't know if... Again, I, I can't even say it tried to explore. Uh, I guess I'll just say one of the other themes that... I observed was the idea of secrets and trying to protect one's reputation. Like that's probably the main or one of the main uh, motivations for Clint in the beginning of the series, right? Like he's just trying to recover his, his Ronin suit because uh, you know, he doesn't want that out in the world. It's something that he put in his past. Uh, And then of course, once he learns that, uh, Kate was wearing the suit. He kind of feels a bit responsible for looking out for her. Mm. But, uh, you know, for the most part, he doesn't want the world, the public in general doesn't know that Clint Barton was the one wearing the Ronin suit during those five years when everybody was dead. Yeah. So he was trying to protect that secret, I guess. Yeah. They even said it. In the show, I think Yelena Belova at one point is talking with Kate Bishop, and Kate says, he came here to protect me, and I think she says something to the effect of, he came here to protect himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't, you know, he, he didn't, he, yeah, he basically wanted to maintain the secret of who Ronan was, and, uh, you know preserve his image in mm-hmm. the eyes of the world yeah there there was also that other element of him recovering the the rolex watch for his wife mm-hmm. that was that was one of those things where in the when they first introduced that little element into the plot it it didn't really seem too significant but mm-hmm. even at the end i guess it still didn't really seem that significant but yeah it was one of those things that Got the got the fanboys talking because they were like, "We're gonna see Mockingbird." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> I hate that we share fandom with these people. <laughs> 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 oh, 
Why is it they they can do no right in my eyes? <laughs> Why can't they just be better? <laughs> because they hate you. Oh, they're just a constant disappointment to me. <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm their father without having sired any of them. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, just in terms of other secrets, you got the secret that, uh, you know, all of Kate's mom's secrets, and you, you, you kind of see how how that pretty much, uh, you know, came back to haunt her. That, yeah. Like, all, all the things that she tried to hide from her daughter ended up being, well, yeah, just mistakes, really. Yeah. So, I don't know. It... Maybe there's something more to explore in in regards to the secrets and and how they how these characters try to protect their reputation. I think maybe another thing that I thought. I mean, I don't know if I don't. I'm not saying that the text was intentionally trying to position it as such, but I there's also that one scene when Kate and Clint are walking in the street, uh, in in daytime. Now, I, I've, I see this clip on commercials too before YouTube videos, but they're walking on the street and this little kid bystander says, mommy, look, I see a superhero. And then for a second, Clint thinks that this little kid is going to run up to him, but then he just runs past him and he sees these cosplayers playing as the Avengers. And, you know, the little kid takes a picture with them and Kate tells Clint, you know what your problem is? It's branding, branding. You know, they they kind of go on this whole uh, back and forth banter about branding. And, you know, throughout the whole series, too, she uh, brings it up and tries to get him to to wear a costume and whatnot, a costume with a logo. Yeah. Which, which basically ends up being the David Aha costume, right? Yeah. But just the T-shirt design, at least, um, that logo. But I I think it's interesting to think about how reputation is a factor in being well i guess not even just for a superhero but for people in general you know like it's it's one of those things we don't often think about trying to protect until until it's damaged and Mm. when your reputation is damaged that that is something that's hard to repair you know you just you can just think of somebody in in real life who was accused of a a crime but uh, let's say it was you know a false accusation well that's still messed up because then that person who was who who uh you know he he's lost something because of the damage to his reputation and and in the story you you see that as one of it, it seems like that's one of Clint's fears you know like if he if people learned that he was Ronin then then uh you know that would that would hurt him you know like it he he wouldn't he wouldn't want that but then again, it, it also makes me question why he cared so much to recover the suit. Like, would people actually make, like, why would finding the Ronin costume, uh, why would people associate that with him anyway? Like, why why would he be concerned about protecting his identity? Like, if, even if somebody stole it and he just, you know, let it be. I mean, I guess you could make the, the leap in logic that it could be more of this <clears throat> symbolic thing where 
he lives with the shame of what who Ronan is, what Ronan has done, and mm. to see Ronan out in the world, like, is just a reminder to himself of of that shame, right? That's so, true. Yeah, that makes more sense than my theory. Yeah, I mean that it takes a little bit of mental gymnastics, but I mean, I guess you could. Yeah, you you could just say that uh, thematically that that's that's the most uh logical uh mm-hmm. explanation right mm-hmm. what about for his wife's watch like if if somebody found somebody else found that rolex would they really be able to discover her identity and then you know track down her family and everything like what what was so important about getting that watch back uh i mean the way that i read the scene was that it was I don't think it was anything more important than just sentimentality. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was just, this is something that, you know, belongs to you and means a lot to you. And, you know, it was, like, I I forget, was the watch something that was located along with his Ronin stuff? I don't remember where it was originally located, but I think Kate found it when she was snooping around in Maya's home. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like the presumption being that that was something that he carried around with him in that period where, uh, what's it called? Where where when he was Ronin when she was snapped away, right? Yeah. So it was something that you can presume that he held in for safekeeping mm-hmm. and you, you know, even though she's back, uh, even though she's back now and they don't have to worry about that anymore. He, yeah, he, I guess he still feels a sense of sentiment and uh, obligation to bring it back, to give it back to her, you know? True. Yeah. I yeah, mean, that's 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 the only guess that I can make on that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You've helped me solve one of the things that. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say I lost. I I definitely didn't lose any sleep over it. Yeah, but it was one of those <laughs> things that made me scratch my head. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Because because if if all it was was to to show to the audience that hey. Laura Barton is Mockingbird. That, I don't know, man. Yeah. That That's one of those things She's that... She's got skills. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, that really does nothing for me. Yeah. I mean, I think... I think the short answer is probably that, too, though. I mean, they it's it's another one of those uh, Easter eggs, right? Yeah. Uh, that, that teases at the idea that... And Mockingbird's not even, like, a, a character that anybody i i don't know man uh like hey if somebody does love her then a more power to them but here's the thing man i've this past year Uh i I reread the entirety of brian michael bendis's run on avengers like Uh all of his avengers stuff starting from secret (laughs) war and and avengers disassembled all Uh the way to the very end of his run right when he gave it up to hickman and Mockingbird was a pretty big part of the New Avengers team during the 
post Secret Invasion era, like pretty much after oh. she came back in post after Secret Invasion, she was in the book, she was on the team until the until the very end. Yeah. So I you know I I've got some affection for Mockingbird. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is is that I in do the like her MCU, costume. Yeah, yeah, she had a pretty good costume in in that era. Yeah. But the other thing I was gonna say about Mockingbird is that the character in the MCU, Laura Barton, she's it's like she's a scroll. <laughs> oh man, that would be so bad. That would be so bad. <laughs> what were you gonna say? It, uh, I was sorry. just gonna go back to what we had discussed in our uh, other Hawkeye episode where we talked about how when Clint Barn was first introduced into the MCU, he took more of his cues from the ultimate version of Hawkeye, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. An ultimate Hawkeye. You know, you, those early MCU movies, Hawkeye was wearing basically the costume that Brian Hitch designed for the Ultimates. Yeah. And in the Ultimates, that Hawkeye had a family. He had a wife, and he had uh, a couple of, a few kids. Yeah. But... That wasn't the, uh, you know, that's not the, the classic Hawkeye from, from the six one six universe. Yeah. Know, the Hawkeye, the Clint Barton that we know from all these other years of other decades of reading comics, and yeah. in in the mainstream Marvel universe, Clint Barton was married to someone named Bobby Morse, who was a uh, mockingbird. Mm. So it's like a, you know, like they're. I don't know if they're trying to combine these characters or whatnot. Um, I mean, it, I really don't care either way. It, yeah. It's it's not something that really matters to me. Yeah. I guess it was just some random comic book factoid that maybe nobody <laughs> else will care about. <laughs> it's It's just strange that they would go to the effort of trying to link clint barton's wife laura with mockingbird because like all these other movies it, it it didn't really feel like i needed to see that you know yeah well i mean again it's it, i do think we at least in terms of the movies we're, we're certainly in an age where <sighs> this type of these types of easter eggs you might say they matter more and more to them from like a money making perspective because that's that's the only way they can continue to gin up uh excitement. Yeah. But you know, we're we're certainly not in that market. Yeah. You know? It's 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 not for us. I I don't look at it and... <sighs> You know, I've I've said this in the past. I'm not going to pretend that I'm absolutely immune to that sort of thing there there's an occasional i've certainly had more than my fair share of moments where i've seen something and you know i've i've smiled slyly to myself as i what what is something that that. what what is something hypothetical what what is something that would give you a fanboy gasm oh shoot like now or like yeah now in the past no now like this very moment at this very moment, something that would uh, uh, that would excite my Albert Tingle, huh? Exactly. Man, I don't I don't know if there's anything that I can think of anymore. My like we've seen. Look, where we are now in in terms of the comic book uh, 
the status of comic book movies. Um, like growing up where we were when we were in the 80s and 90s, uh, maybe even the early thousands, like, you know, we were, we, we got Blade. That's what we had, you know, <laughs> <laughs> for the longest time. For the longest time, all you had was Batman, maybe Superman, right? So there really wasn't much to look forward to. But in the past decade, for sure, we've just been exposed to more and more of this to the point where, uh, I don't have time I, to watch everything. I don't have time to watch everything, and I just I I don't think that there's anything left. You know, I'm I'm really Wait, trying so, to so think. You're not. You wouldn't get pumped up if they did an adaptation, a movie adaptation of King in Black. Oh, I definitely wouldn't. <laughs> 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 that is something that not only would I not get pumped up for it, I actively don't want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh my gosh! Now, now I'm wondering. Like, I I think it's fair to say that it's inevitable that we're gonna see that at some point. Yeah. Like, as much as I don't want to see that, I, I I have a feeling that that's it's gonna be a given. So that being said, are we gonna watch that <laughs> and review that when that comes out when the, on that day that it happens? Yeah, we could do a null topsy. Oh man. Oh okay, man! What about this, okay. man? Would, would this excite you? What about when the X Men hit the MCU? Uh, yeah, that's the thing. I, I think right now, as it stands, uh, with everything that I've seen of of what what's going on, like I, I'm not too confident that how they, I'm not very confident that they're going to be able to introduce them into the, the X that they're going to introduce the X elements into the MCU uh, in a way that isn't going to be clunky. I don't really have too much confidence in that. So what if it was just Agatha all along? Oh yeah, that's definitely bad. How about <laughs> Mephisto dude? Mephisto brings the X-Men into the universe. <laughs> Mephisto makes a deal. With Captain America. <laughs> I, I will say this. I I might be... If I was to rank the things that excite me, I'm probably more excited at the thought of the Fantastic Four entering the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe more than mm -hmm. I am the X-Men. Yeah. Uh, it's going to require less uh, less mental gymnastics to try to explain the the Fantastic Four. And, what uh, if they do a multiversal introduction to the Fantastic Four and we get Chris Evans and Michael B. Jordan back as Johnny Storm? Uh, Would that give you a fanboy gasm? No. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I'd probably enjoy seeing Jessica Alba again, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't want to see Chris Evans as Human Torch or Michael B. Jordan. Uh, well, with the with the with the Trank Fantastic Four, there was like so much drama and uh, crap that went on behind the scenes. Like so much, so much more than the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man that like I I have very little hope or even 
not even hope, but very little belief that they would ever try to resurrect that Fantastic Four. That's a shame, man. I like yeah. Michael B. Jordan. I do like Michael B. Jordan, but I'm just saying that the idea that that version of the Fantastic Four is something that they would even touch, like, yeah, I just remember. But there if, was a if they lot do a multiverse story, man, they could bring them back. Come on, why aren't you pumped up about that idea? Come on, get to the <laughs> chopper! <laughs> Come on, <laughs> Come with me if you want to live. Ah, ah, ah. Consider that a divorce. <laughs> All these Arnold Schwarzenegger references. Kind of sounded like you were having a seizure. <laughs> well, it makes you feel better. I often think that most of Arnold Schwarzenegger's acting is just him behaving like he's having a seizure. <laughs> you remember that scene in Total Recall where he's on the moon and his eyes are bulging out and he's like, ah, ah. <laughs> that's a that's such a good scene. <laughs> Maria, Maria, ah! <laughs> oh man, do you have any final thoughts on Hawkeye, the TV series, Albert? Uh, nothing much. Um, trying to think if I can come up with anything that I would recommend for anyone who likes this show. Like I don't even know if it would if I would consider it the same thing. And I'm going to I'm going to defer to you on this one. I'm going to run it by you and you you let me know if you think that there's any overlap between these two two things, that, okay? That's a lot of pressure, man. You're trying to make me the arbiter of good taste here. That, uh, that is that is a heavy crown to wear. Well, it's it's not even about taste. I'm just saying in terms of uh Referentially speaking, whether they align with one another. When I think about the Hawkeye by David Aha, one of the one of the things that came to me just now was uh, Human Target by Peter Milligan. Who was the artist on that? Was that Philip Tan? No, no, it was definitely no. not Philip Tan. <laughs> Dustin Nguyen? What? No, uh, Human Peter Milligan's Human Target had yeah. art f- from a. Uh, the first miniseries had art from Edvin Bukovic, and then the ongoing series in the graphic novel had art from Javier Pulido and Cliff Chang. Cliff Chang was who I was thinking of. I was just thinking it was some sort of Asian. Dang, dude. <laughs> You're killing me, dog. Why you gotta be like that, man? That's I'm our reductive. people, man. <laughs> I'm reductive in my logic. It's, it's just how I exist. Dude. But yeah, uh, I don't know if uh, that's necessarily something that strikes a similar tone as uh, David Aha and Matt Fraction's uh, Hawkeye. Like, there's something visually about those two that, when I when I think about them, they remind me of each other. Or, yeah, well, yeah. I think there's a an aesthetic that that's not too far removed. You know, like. If, yeah, I think people who appreciate David Aha's art would appreciate Javier Polito's art and Cliff Chang's art. You know, yeah. even though none of them are clones of each other, I think their sensibilities and their aesthetics are similar enough that if you appreciate one of them, you're most likely gonna appreciate the yeah. others. And 
I do think David Aha's artwork is so specifically stylized. It's definitely its own creature, mm-hmm. but but there is an aesthetic that they they both try to mimic from a, a very particular period of time. Um, yeah, so I do think uh, Human Target does does touch on some of that. Um, I'm trying to think back to the comic itself. Like, I it's I don't think it's anywhere near as like lighthearted, uh, but yeah, I mean there are definitely jokes in there, and there's yeah. a lot of it's it's drenched in irony because it's Peter Milligan, mm-hmm. but there's also like a heaviness to it, you know, like a weight to it. And even though there there's some banter, uh, it's not what's at the heart of it. Yeah, yeah, it it's yeah. definitely. A heavier exploration of of identity. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. That, that's a good pick, man. Yeah, I would. That's that's definitely something I love a lot. And and just for our listeners, a, a brief uh, synopsis of Peter Milligan's run on Human Target is that it's it's about a guy who's he's not exactly a hitman. He's more of like a bodyguard. But the main character is named Christopher Chance, and his whole thing is that when he bodyguards somebody and he he basically learns everything about the person and then becomes that person so like when he's he he uses prosthetics or makeup to disguise himself as that person but he also learns that person's mannerisms and body language basically becomes indistinguishable from the actual person so when the assassin comes for that target they find Christopher Chance instead, and he'll be the one who kills the assassin. Like that's that's kind of like the hook or the, or the gimmick. But the but, thing that's messed up about it is mm-hmm. he is so good at his job mm-hmm. that he begins to lose his sense of identity as he begins to believe that he becomes some of his characters. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a pretty warped sense of losing of the self. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That yeah. that whole series is excellent stuff it, it's one of my favorite comics it's one of my favorite peter milligan comics too who's my one of my top two favorite writers and i would also say that it's a good mix of existentialism like just kind of philosophizing about who who you are and 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 uh you know trying to discover your own identity and find your your place in in society it's a good mix of that kind of uh you know those kind of thematic concepts and also a lot of just well illustrated action yeah yeah beautiful book from what i remember yeah totally totally yeah you have anything um i guess not really like the only things that came to mind would be the obvious things like i would definitely point people to the stuff that helped inspire the Hawkeye TV show, like if they if people like the TV show, they should definitely check out the the Fraction Aha uh, series, yeah, and also yeah. the the Jeff Lemire series that we talked about in the other episode. Yeah. Um, and then uh the the Echo stories too. I would I would recommend those. We, yeah. We mentioned them earlier in this episode, but Parts of a Whole, which was uh. I think it was like issues nine through 14 of the Marvel Knights run on Daredevil yeah. uh, by David Mack and Joe Quesada. That's the return of the Mac. Yeah. 
first appearance of Echo and her her introduction. Um, and then she has a really good solo story as well. That's purely David Mack writing and painting it. Yeah. And it's that one was collected in uh, Daredevil, the Marvel again, the Marvel Knights run, Daredevil issues 51 through 55, and that story was called Echo Vision Quest. It really it's it's strange because it took place in the Daredevil series, but it it's really just a solo Echo story. And that one I would say is very it's it's more typical of David Mack's creator-owned work. Like you can compare that to something like Kabuki. It's yeah. a lot more uh experimental like and, surreal. and poetic. Yeah. 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 That one is very beautiful too, because he's an awesome painter. Yeah. And I should, you know, for those of you listening, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you this right now. If you find any issues with Echo in them, you should swoop them up because uh, she's the <laughs> Phoenix now. Those are yeah. key issues, baby. Those That's are true. key issues, baby. She, she's <laughs> the, she is the Phonix. Hooked the on what? Phonix. She's hooked, hooked on, on Phonix. Phonix, baby. I don't think you learned what Phonix are, man. Phoenix. <laughs> University of Phonics. <laughs> Man, now that I think about it, the connections between Clint and Echo are kind of awkwardly funny in the comics because in the comics, Echo was actually the first character to to wear the Ronin costume. And this was during a period in the Avengers when Clint Barton was dead. And after he came back, he was he wasn't... He didn't go straight back into being a superhero again, but eventually at some point he found his way back to the new Avengers, which Echo was a part of. And at some point she was comfortable operating as herself and not under the Ronin mask. So she actually gave her costume to Clint Barton and that's when he started to operate as Ronin. And he even stopped using his bow and arrow. He started using nunchucks of all things, you know, like... yeah. He he played the role of the ninja, yeah. and then being Clint Barn, of course he ended up sleeping with Echo. <laughs> that's just who Clint Barton is, man. Like, is there a Marvel superhero that slept with more women than Clint Barton? Pretty sure Daredevil has. No, Wolverine's got to be at the top. Of oh that yeah, list. totally. Yeah, but I mean. That's not really fair because he has a healing factor. He doesn't have to worry about STDs. Oh, well, I mean, we're not really talking about in terms of fair. We're just talking in terms of number count. We're just, yeah. you know. Okay, other than uh, Wolverine, you think uh, Matt Murdock has slept with more women than Clint Barton? Uh, I don't know if it's more, but he's definitely competitive. Uh, Matt Murdock has a giant gaping hole in his heart. Where uh, where he's just looking for the love of his mother, and he's trying to find it in every woman that he's sleeping with. <laughs> <laughs> Matt has mother issues. I, Matt I has wish issues. if Matt Murdock were a real person, I wish you could just go up to him, look him in the face, and be like, "How does it feel to be deconstructed?" <laughs> Trying to think. Uh, yeah. How about Tony Stark? Tony Stark. Oh, I don't think so. He has a weak heart. He can't handle as much. 
He has a robotic heart, so you know. <laughs> what else he got on him that robotic? Yeah, I mean, I I, I guess so. He's 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 more of that Playboy type though, like Daredevil so and Clint Playboys Barton. Do... No, 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 no. Here, here, here's the other thing though. Daredevil and Clint Barton, they they get with <laughs> women who who are uh, you know actual characters in the Marvel universe. They're not just like one panel and you never see him again. Oh, okay. You heard it here. Regular women don't matter. That is uh, the new tagline <laughs> of Between the Gutters. <laughs> if you're not a if you're not a woman with a superhero name or a recognizable <laughs> costume, you don't matter. <laughs> you heard it here first, kids. Oh man. Uh, till I tell my mom. Why would you tell her that? What? I want to tell her she don't matter. <laughs> that That's probably our cue to end the episode, I think. Unless you want to say something about my mom, too. Uh, No, I'm, I'm good. Okay. I'm good. I, I, I feel that we've adequately gone to the most uncomfortable place that this conversation can go. And uh, I, I'm, I'm happy where I am. Yeah. Thanks to that, this conversation has reached its natural conclusion. With nothing left to say, we must now take our leave. All right, everyone. Have a good night or have a good whatever. And, uh, you know, feel free to hit us up on our socials if you have any questions about Hawkeye or if you want to offer us any comments, you know, follow us at uh, Between the Gutters at uh, Between the Gutters Podcast at gmail.com. You can. Uh, email us or you can hit us up on our DMS on our Instagram at between the between the gutters. Peace out everybody. Peace guys. <laughs>